Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is Roosh Williams, who's a major presence on Rockets Twitter and a great follow for every Rockets fan. Roosh always thoughtful takes on what's going on in Red Nation. We rarely disagree, but we got into a little debate recently. We're going to get back to it in a bit. But first of all, Roosh, just want to thank you for coming on with us and give us a little of your Rockets history. Hey, Robert, thank you for having me, man. Glad to be here. Um, Rockets history, I mean, you know, I've been a Rocket diehard since I can remember. Pretty much uh, started tuning in as a young kid during the back-to-back Clutch City seasons and never stopped, um, for better or worse. Um, But, yeah, you can catch me. I mean, you know, I I talk Rockets pretty much all day, unfortunately, um, on Twitter. (laughs) And uh, so, so, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been talking about the Rockets. I don't want to say I cover the Rockets. I think that would be inaccurate. But I talk about the Rockets um, probably for the last two or three years on a regular basis. Um, but I've been watching them game in and, ga- and game out. I watch all 82 every season, even when I miss them. Um, you know, I go watch a replay and run it back. So, yeah, I mean, I'd like to I'd like to think that I'm about as loyal as it gets in terms of being a Rockets follower and, and fan. Well, that's perfect. And that's why I'm going to ask you right off the bat. What did you think of the Capella for Covington deal and, and what they did overall and, and maybe didn't do at the deadline? Yeah, um, mixed feelings. Um, you know, I'm not totally against it, but um, I, I think it's just an incredible risk. And I think the downside of the risk is potentially grave, you know, downsizing to the degree that the Rockets did. And giving up Capella. I mean, first of all, look, Capella was the only guy on the roster that was homegrown, drafted by Houston, groomed. And, you know, we saw him really go from being like a baby in the NBA. I remember his first game. Um, I think it was against Toronto that I saw. You know, he was he looked really raw, but you could see the potential and the athleticism that was there And from him to go, you know, from that level that he was at to where he is today. He's not an all star, but, you know, he's probably one of the fringe all star guys in terms of centers of today's NBA. Um, and so to see him go, you know, from what he was to what he's become was really cool. And the fact that he was traded kind of hurts. And also the fact that his value was seemingly not as much as I had anticipated, I thought was interesting. On the flip side of that, um, I, mean, I mean, I love Robert Covington. I love what he brings. I think the NBA today is all about length and mobility and athleticism and shooting. If you have that kind of skill set in your toolbox, however you want to put it, you know, you can definitely contribute especially to a team like the Rockets that needs three and D kind of guys. I think we've already seen Covington's length at play, um, at least in like isolated possessions. For example, I think if you watch the Lakers game, you'll remember that block he had on Anthony Davis when he did a, uh, took a fadeaway, I think late in the fourth. So just little things like that. He's got incredible length, gets deflection. So I like it. But to your point about what they didn't do at the deadline, I mean, they're hurting for size in, in a way that's very visible and in a way that they're kind of just being brash about and just embracing for better or worse. I think Isaiah Hardenstein, in some ways can address what they didn't do in some ways can't, but I don't think he's really going to get that chance. So, so yeah, in, interesting move. I, I mean, I think it marks and signals D'Antoni and, and Daryl Morey kind of just going all in. Um, I don't know the inner workings of the Rockets front office. I don't know the relationships and the status of the relationships between the main three players being Mike D'Antoni, Daryl Morey and Tillman Fertitta, but it really feels like Morey and D'Antoni just kind of going all in on what they want and saying, okay, let's do it. If it doesn't work, D'Antoni's definitely going to be gone, I think, no matter what, unless the Rockets, you know, get to the finals. And I'm starting to feel like Daryl Morey might be gone, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. So I do think that if you kind of keep a core of Robert Covington, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and maybe Daniel House, just because he's got the height and the length and the athleticism, I think there's a lot to build on from there, just in terms of, you know, star power and then role players and shooting and length. 
But after that, I mean, I really don't know. We'll see. Yeah, a couple things on what you said. It, it, it appears that after the Capella deal, you know, you also lose a first round pick. So they're out. I mean, it's just totally out of any sort of future assets. That's a concern, number one. And I guess the second thing is the buyout market is is not good. I mean, I, I just haven't heard a lot of names that, you know, you'd usually hear out there and everybody just assumed that the Rockets would do something in the buyout market. But I, I don't hear anybody that they're talking about, talking to, or just as, as interesting as a name. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to, to know if the Rockets, you know, had a plan in place in terms of the buyout market or if they really just think that Bruno Caboclo is going to be the answer to what they're kind of looking for. If it's the latter, I'd kind of be floored because I don't think Bruno Caboclo is going to be a contributor, at least for a contending team. And I think that you kind of touched on something that I, I want to amplify and speak louder about. You used, you used the word assume. Uh, you said people assume that, you know, the Rockets would be able to get someone on the buyout market. And I, I kind of want to touch on the fact that I don't think Houston is the destination that we have come to think of it as over the last couple of seasons, you know. Over the last couple of season, seasons, the Rockets have been bona fide, legitimate contenders. And so you could you could rely on an Austin Rivers, uh, a Kenneth Fareed, you know, to join the squad when they get bought out because there's something for them to play for and there's a role for them to fill. But I think now at this juncture, especially given a bunch of factors, given how polarizing the Rockets have become, uh, both in the media and on the court in terms of how they play, in terms of, you know, going super small. And just because of the fact that the front office situation is kind of the way it is. Mike D'Antoni is a lame duck coach, as everyone knows. Daryl Morey had the, you know, his whole situation with China, whatever you want to call that. Um, so there's just like a bunch of factors going on. And it really is starting to feel like people, not people, players in the NBA do not view Houston as a top destination. Um, and I think that might have something to do with it. You saw Marvin Williams, who would probably have been the best possible candidate for the Rockets to get on the buyout market, went to Milwaukee, where he may not even get relatively decent minutes, which is kind of a surprise. But I think it speaks to the fact that these these buyout guys want to either, A, go you know prove themselves and try to get a new contract, like we saw with Wesley Matthews going to, uh, I think he went to the Pacers last year, if I'm not mistaken. And you know there was, I uh, forgot his name, but he went to the Pistons. Wayne Ellington, I believe, signed with the Pistons last year. Um, and both of those guys, you know, could have gone to like a better team where they had a better chance to win. But I think they did what they did in order to kind of revamp their career, get a new contract. So that's A or B, you're going to see guys join a team that gives them a chance to win a championship, which is why Marvin Williams, most likely, in my opinion, joined the Bucks. Um, and I don't think the Rockets, the Rockets could fall into category A. They could, you know, give someone a chance to come in and shoot and, you know, score in D'Antoni's quote-unquote system and amplify their numbers and yada, yada, yada. But as far as category B, I don't think you're going to see anyone with a good level of talent that could actually contribute to a contending team view the Rockets as a contending team. So, yeah, I think the bio market's thin. Um, I think they're kind of in trouble on that front, personally. I don't. I haven't heard any rumors. I don't think we've really seen anything materialize. I mean, the closest name to anything borderline noteworthy has been John Henson, and that's not much of a noteworthy name. Now, on the other hand, you're going to have to you know, accept the fact that buyout guys are buyout guys. You're going to have to take them with a grain of salt and hope that you can get some production out of limited minutes and limited circumstances. Not even limited minutes, just limited circumstances, you know, like a, like the role player having a big game, you know, down the stretch for you. And that's like, for example, the, the Daniel House game, something like that, right, where they kind of break out in a game and they really show you their worth in the playoffs and, and it's memorable, something to that effect. But I don't think you're going to see that. 
Roosh, let me run something by you that I've just been thinking about as I, as I watched the Rockets over the last couple of months. It appears that dealing Capella made things much easier for Westbrook offensively, and I know that's what they wanted to do, but I feel like it made it more difficult for James Harden. There's a lot of focus on his poor three-point shooting in the last month and a half, but I'm noticing he's having trouble finishing around the basket. Now, maybe it's an injury that he's been silent about, or and my theory is maybe it, it's he doesn't have the gravity of Capella to keep uh, keep off that help defender. And one thing that I think goes a little bit underrated about Harden is we talk about his passing and that he's this really good passer. But I I I, I kind of think vertically he's a great passer, whether it's Capella or Kenneth Fareed or whoever. But it appears more likely that he's going to commit a turnover on a perimeter pass a lot of times. So he's taking shots in the paint he's not really comfortable with. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think there is something to that. Um, I think lately, at least, he's been very, in my opinion, his passes have been very lazy. He usually does some lazy passes, like a little nonchalant behind-the-back bounce pass. He likes to flip, kind of try to fit passes into tight windows. One thing I noticed he did, I think it was against Utah. Teams know what he's going to do. They know he's trying to kick it to the corner, and so they cheat over on it, and he throws that low bounce pass to the corner from not the top of the key, but kind of the top more so like a little to one of the to the right or to the left either way and he tries to do that low bounce pass to the corner and it gets stolen and picked off I've noticed recently so yeah I mean I think I agree with you he's got great vision he's a great passer but he's just I mean he's 6'5 right so if you're going to be the kind of player that he is which is ball dominant not necessarily blazing fast um, but just really smart and savvy knows how to use his body you got to be a little bit taller which is something that LeBron is able to do right he's so tall He's not necessarily blazing fast. He hasn't. He's always had that good first step, which is obviously not what it was now. But he's got the height to pass over people and to kind of locate his passes accordingly. Harden can't really do that. Um, what he was best at was flipping that lob over the top to Capella. And yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it did give him gravity because anytime someone would, anytime teams would double him or would step up on him or you know send a help defender over or whatever from the paint area when he gets when he gets to the next level in the paint. He could always just flip it up to Capella. And, you know, when, when a defense has that in the back of their mind, they always have to account for it. And those split seconds where you have to think twice about whether you're going to commit or not, it can change an entire play, right? And he doesn't have that anymore. So now it's really just like a five out and it's hard and kind of just going at it. On the flip side of that, though, he does have more space because one thing the teams were able to do with Capella is, you know, they could, if Capella set the pick at the top of the key, um, if they were able to account for his role to the basket, then... You know, it'd kind of get cluttered inside like we saw against the Jazz in the playoffs last year. You know, they did the shading type defense on Harden and they would let Gobert sag back and use his length to contest because they know Harden's not going to shoot that mid-range. Which, by the way, to your question, if Harden was more more willing to shoot that mid-range when he gets it, when it's wide open, which he's gotten a lot, if he was willing to do that, he could really solve this problem a lot better. But he has shown a strong reluctance uh, to wanting to take that shot for whatever reason. So, but I do think that with Capella out of there, like, like I was saying, when you see Gobert, for example, or someone like Gobert sag back, I don't think they're able to do that anymore because now the Rockets are spreading it completely out. So it's, it's going to make the defenders commit. But yeah, it's Westbrook's team. And not, not that it's Westbrook's team, but it looks lately, it looks like we kind of made a big adjustment to accommodate Westbrook. And, you know, I think we've all seen with his style of play, he puts up the numbers, and I mean, he's been great as a Rocket over the last month, two months, whatever it's been. He's been amazing statistically, but I have questions as to whether his style of play is conducive to winning. I've always had these questions. I think a lot of people have, and I think we're seeing, you know, hey, Russell can put up 40-plus points, but the Rockets are still in a tight game, 
um, or the Rockets might lose. And then in addition to that, you're seeing what happens when the Rockets don't have Westbrook and they don't have Capella, which is the Suns game. Um, so I think there are a lot of issues. I, I think after the trade, the Rockets have to play very sound basketball, mistake-free basketball, just to win the game. I, I tweeted this the other day. I, it's hard to imagine small ball lending itself to easy, you know, routine blowout wins just because the style inherently gives up so many easy buckets due to the lack of size and length and, you know, offensive rebounding opportunities. So I don't know. Uh, it's kind of tough to call. Why does Maury build a team around three-point shooting with weak three-point shooters? <laughs> great, great, great question, man. I, you know, it, the most frustrating thing, kind of how the Oklahoma City Thunder, um, in their prime of contention, they could never find that two-guard that, you know, was a shooter that would give, that would be the release valve and give the space to KD and Perkins. You know, they always had a guy like Andre Roberson or whoever it was. The closest thing they ever had to that release valve was Daquan Cook, but they could never seem to find him. And it seems like the Rockets can just never seem to find that sniper from three, you know, that 42% guy. I mean, the last that I can remember was Ryan Anderson, I think, at 40% in his debut season with the Rockets. And we saw his gravity changed a lot of things. But, yeah, they, the Rockets don't have that. Um, Daniel House, I think, percentage-wise, is going to be your best shooter. I'm going off the top of my head, so I could be wrong. I mean, he's got to be around 37%, maybe 38%. And that's just not going to cut it. And then you have guys with very high volume, like Eric Gordon. You know, he was shooting a lot better since the surgery, but still not that good given the, the volume he takes. I think he shoots nine a game. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. You know, we have a team that is centered around three-point shooting, um, but we're just not really good at it. And so I guess the idea is to just increase volume as much as you can and hope that they fall. But, you know, I, I'm not a fan of that type of basketball. I mean, it's got its place. I love three-point shooting. When I play, I three I shoot threes. That's what I do. So, I mean, I get it. I love it. However, you got to tailor your team to what they're good at. And this team's not good at shooting threes, like you said. So I don't know. Yeah, big concerns over Eric Gordon, too. He's the really the one asset that they have moving forward as they've given up all her, or just about every one of their first-round picks. And, I mean, that's a big deal because he's starting to break down as a player, it appears. And I, I love him when he's healthy, but uh, he hasn't looked like he's been healthy all this year, and he just it's not the same guy, and, and, and they're in big trouble with that contract. I think you're right, unfortunately. I mean, $18 million for a guy and you know who's a – about to hit the decline of his career, probably um, 31. I think he's 31. And, you know, he always had a reputation for being injured. That didn't really happen to him in his tenure in Houston, but we're starting to see it happen. And yeah, I mean, he's pretty much the only asset that you've got left. So that's why I was saying earlier, I think they might have to stick to Covington, Westbrook and Harden and then maybe blow it up from there. I hate to say that, but I just don't really see a path forward for this team unless Unless a now now look we are it's only been three games of small ball to be fair if uh, if Bogdanovich does not hit that wild three point shot yesterday the Rockets are two and one with wins over the Lakers and the Jazz and the loss coming without Russell Westbrook and so maybe the whole narrative's different and maybe maybe we feel a little different so that's you know we should be fair and we should say that but like I said it's just kind of hard to imagine this really working and it's really hard to imagine it working over the course of 82 games you know Mike D'Antoni runs his guys into the ground. P.J. Tucker, at some point, got to knock on wood for him, but at some point, P.J. Tucker is going to break down completely. I think we've already seen uh, a decrease in his productivity offensively, probably due to being tired. He's starting to kind of catch his stroke again here as of late. Had a huge three-point shot last night. But, yeah, it's just really hard to see a viable path forward for these for this iteration of the team. 
Yeah, and then we could have a whole other conversation about Mike D'Antoni and if a genius offensive coach can't win games with, with somebody like P.J. Tucker scoring 40 minutes or playing 40 minutes a game, that, that to me that's an issue. But I do want to get into this debate that we had on Twitter because it started when Salman Ali pointed out that Harden was consistently leaving his defender open for easy three-pointers. I responded by saying, we've seen Harden do this for years. And that goes into why I really believe the Rockets can't win a title with Harden as its best player. Basically, I'm saying big picture, Harden gets lazy on the details. So you and I got into a back and forth, and I'll let you explain why you disagree with that take and maybe why you think, oh, yeah, you can win with Harden as your best player, if, that, if that's wrong. To be fair, I do agree with you. He is lazy on the details, and you know he does uh, <laughs> a whole range of things that, that upset me, right? He leaves shooters open, like you just said. He doesn't rotate. He ball watches on defense. He doesn't move his feet, which is, of all the things he does, that's the most baffling to me because uh, it's the easiest thing to do, especially when you're 6'5 and you're a guard and you have the footwork that James Harden has, which is a pretty elite footwork, at least offensively. So he just does a whole, he, he refuses to do a, a whole bunch of things, and I never understand why. Another thing he does that upsets me is, um, he cries after, I hate to say cries, but he just mopes after something doesn't go his way offensively, whether it be shoots a three and falls down, embellishing the contact, doesn't get it, looks up at the ref and complains, puts his arms out, or he goes and drives to the hole and finishes, doesn't get the whistle, and then he crashes into the crowd and just kind of sits there for a second. Or he just might miss a layup, stay on his feet, and just walk back and not sprint back. Or sometimes he jogs back and doesn't sprint back, sprint back and in the, in the course of jogging back, he gets burned. And even if he doesn't get burned for an easy layup by his man in transition, that results in the team having mixed rotations, people covering for others, communication being off, and just the defense fundamentally collapsing. I agree with you on all those things, just to be clear. However, I, I disagreed with the reasoning that you said, right? You said because of these things, the Rockets can never win a title with James Harden. And I pointed to the 2017 to 2018 season as proof of that. And, you know, I stand by that. I, I think. A lot of people will agree. Obviously, we can never know because Chris Paul got hurt, and so we'll never know how it would have played out. But the Rockets have won three out of five games up to that point with Chris Paul playing. And James Harden was their best player, despite Chris Paul being on that team. And I think it's very reasonable to think they would have won one of the remaining two, especially when you see that they went up, you know, they were up, I think, 15 or 17 in game seven at home. The thing is that Harden needs help. Pretty much only a LeBron James, or at least as far as this generation goes, only a LeBron James can really will a team to a title or to the finals by himself. I don't really think we can point to any one individual player. And if, if you disagree, please cut me off and list that player. But I don't think we can point to one individual player that just did it by himself. And so I think it's unfair to hold Harden, hold that against Harden, that he couldn't win one game out of two against a, you know an, an all-time legendary Warriors team with Chris Paul down. He needs a type, some type of running mate, and he needs people to shore up his weaknesses, quite frankly, which is what you saw with that team, right? Capella's defense was pretty elite that season. He was able to actually switch on the pick and rolls. He was able to hold his own. He had trouble with Golden State specifically, but, I mean, up to that point, he was, he was tremendous, especially in negating uh, Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns in the first two rounds of those playoffs. You had Ariza with the length and the height, you know, a legitimate six foot eight, great wingspan great defensive IQ and instincts. And then Luke Mbamute, P.J. Tucker, and Chris Paul. We can't forget Chris Paul. As, as, as great as Russell Westbrook is on the offensive end of the floor, depending on your definition of great, um, defensively, he's just not 
alert. You know, he's got the tools, he's got the physical tools, but he just does not have the he just doesn't have the defensive IQ that you see with a Chris Paul because a lot of defense is knowing who you're playing and knowing how to guard them. Because at the NBA level, most of these guys are more or less on an equal playing field athletically. Even Chris Paul, he's a small guard, but he plays tough and he knows the personnel that he's playing against and he has good instincts and good IQ. So Harden had a bunch of defensive dogs around him, you know, Ariza, PJ, Chris Paul, Capella, um, and they were able to shore up his weaknesses. But I, I guess I'll let me just counter on a, with a couple of things. And number one, uh, Harden's real concerning to me because he's been a front runner and the Rockets have had some big wins and over the years, but a lot of those wins in the playoffs haven't been because of Harden. Chris Paul was carrying them in that Golden State and Chris Paul's not walking in that door again, you know, 2017-18 Chris Paul certainly not walking in that door again and 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 he was the reason why they had a shot to win that series and he in fact was their best offensive player and I'm talking about a team with James Harden the ball in his hands late in the game him the best player and he's just disappeared in key moments I mean if you look at game six and game seven and it's it's without Chris Paul and I'll grant you but the Rockets were a minus a ton. You know, if you, I think I combined those two games with that Spurs game, game six, which was another big moment for James Harden a few years ago. And they're minus 72 with James Harden on the floor in those situations. And he just, he, he's the type of guy that when, 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 when things go wrong, he can't seem to get you out of it. it. It's like you, you look to James Harden and he just sort of disappears. I think he turtles up. I think he craters and you could say, well, he he's won games against the Jazz and against some of these other teams. But, you know, he could be the front runner in those games when, when you're facing when you get to the point, even if it's not a Golden State and one of the great teams of all time. And I'll grant all of that. When you get up against those type of teams, you're going to face some really good competition and you you're going to have to be the guy that steps up. And if you're the best player, the ball's going to be in your hands. And it it's just it, it wasn't just that. Uh, the Rockets didn't have enough firepower last year. The Rockets should and could have easily beat a Warriors team without Kevin Durant and, and, and a healthy Harden and Chris Paul. And there's James Harden, you know, late in the game committing a couple of dumb turnovers, missing a wide open layup, uh, just doing, I mean, they weren't just turnovers. They were dumb turnovers. They were like throwing away an inbounds pass, you know, in the final two or three minutes of a, I mean, that stuff, it, to me, it's it's just not championship medal. I won't disagree with many of the things you said. Um, I guess I'll just try to shed an alternate perspective on it. But first, I think there's a huge misconception about the Rockets should, you know, quote unquote, should have beat the Warriors last season. People are forgetting, man. Look, that, I mean, that's the team that won 72 games. I'm sorry, 73 games without Kevin Durant. So those guys had been there and they had done that. And th- those Rockets did not have a small forward. I mean, they just didn't have any defensive prowess whatsoever. They had no size. They had no length. They were all offense, right? I mean, Daniel House was in the doghouse uh, after the first round. D'Antoni stopped trusting him. He And then I think he had a foot injury, or that's what they said. And so he stopped playing. So you see who, who took his spot. It was Iman Shumpert, who, I mean, come on, Iman Shumpert. He played well, I want to say, for like the latter half or the latter portion of the Warriors series. Yeah, I, I kind of hate talking about role players, but if we're going to talk about role players in the Golden State series, let's talk about the fact that, yeah, when they won all those games before Kevin Durant got there, they were doing it with much better role players, a much better Iguodala, a guy in Sean Livingston that was helping you out in a, in a much bigger way. They just weren't as deep. I mean, they had lost a lot of that. So once they lose 
Kevin Durant, it was tough. But what happened in game six, the one that the Rockets lost, right? I mean, who was actually increasing the lead for the Warriors? It's when that, that lineup of Quinn Cook and Jarebko came out there. We're talking about guys that should not be doing that. And they did it to the Rockets. They didn't do it to James Harden. They did it to the Rockets because the Rockets couldn't defend. And, and, and that's kind of the point. Like The underlying point is if James Harden's going to win, and I think I made this, this point at some point on Twitter earlier, if James Harden's going to be your guy your best player, and if you're going to win a ring with him, which I do think is possible. And again, I think 17 and 18 illustrated that. But it's got to be with a, with a top 10 defensive team. And since 1996, I tweeted about this a while ago, since 1996, which might seem like an arbitrary season, but I was tracking the stats on NBA.com, and that's how far back it went. So that's why I used it that year. But since 1996, um, on teams that did not have both Shaq and Kobe or LeBron James, only two teams have made the finals without being either top 10 or top 12 in defensive rating. I mean, that was the Utah Jazz, I believe, in either 97, I think it was 97 or 98. And it was the Pacers team that lost to the Lakers in the finals, uh, I want to say 2000. So first of all, if you're going to make the finals, no matter who you, who's on your team, you have to play defense and you, have to, and you have to play good defense. In addition to that, James Harden, specifically, given the things that we've discussed, his shortcomings, he needs defense. And so when it's just an offensive team, which is what last season's team was, they just can't get it done. As far as the role players go, like I said, Quinn Cook was hitting big shots. Jonas Jarebko was hitting big shots. James Harden actually played really well down the stretch of game six. And his running mate, Chris Paul, had a horrible series until game six. I mean, game six was the one that Chris Paul actually showed up in. But before that, if you go back and look at it and if you go back and watch, I mean, Chris Paul was not, you know, a number two. He was not the guy that the Rockets traded for. And he wasn't the guy in the 17-18 season either. And then further, beyond the fact that, you know, that Golden State team won 73 games, different role players. I agree with you there. But when you're playing a team and when you're in a series and you're in a dogfight, you're playing them with a mentality and an approach, right? And I'm not, ta- I'm not trying to talk in broad strokes. I'm talking in kind of, kind of on a granular level. Specifically with that team, the whole idea and the way that the Rockets constructed their team and their roster was we're going to have a team that can switch everything. And when you switch everything on us, we're going to be able to attack you. Well, when you take Kevin Durant out of that equation, Golden State stops playing that ISO game because the Rockets were able to force the Warriors to play largely the way they wanted them to play, right? Force it into Kevin Durant, force Kevin Durant to kind of be a one-man team and take advantage of his mismatches. And in the process of that, you're going to throw the Warriors out of their rhythm and you're going to be able to capitalize. That was the idea. But when Durant goes out, the Warriors become a team that cuts much more. They move much more. The ball skips much more. And... James Harden specifically individually is not tailored for that kind of game. And the Rockets as a, as a team, as a roster, were not tailored to be able to do that. And they never were really. If you go back and look when the Warriors before Durant, the Rockets couldn't mess with them because they just could not track the cutting and the movement. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at as far as that goes. But like I said, if you have a team of defensive dogs next to James Harden, which is kind of why, you know, I'm going to wait, this small ball thing out. I think that you need one more strong defensive piece, which is why I was hoping um, not that Marvin Williams is quote unquote strong as a defensive piece, but I think his length and height would have helped. But if you just have the right team around him, I think it works. And also Harden doesn't have a signature playoff moment to close a game out. So I agree with you. However, I do think that he's incredible as far as those first three quarters, the first three and a half quarters goes, he just needed Chris Paul to close those games out. And LeBron James couldn't close games out for a very long time. LeBron James didn't close games out for a very long time. I mean, frankly, LeBron James's career and legend would probably be written differently if Ray Allen didn't bail him out in 2013. 
So you need help, right? And specific, specific to the, the way that the Rockets play offense, when, when it's in Harden's hands, we're shooting threes. We're shooting step backs. We're driving and kicking. You know, we're doing layups and threes. But Chris Paul was that release valve, right? He made the defense account for that mid-range in that middle area, which fundamentally alters how you have to play defense and how the other team has to approach defense. When you have a guy that can knife you up from mid-range, in addition to what James Harden does, and in addition to how James Harden sets up the rest of the guys to shoot from the perimeter, that's a complete offensive approach, right? Uh, without that piece, and specific to last season's series against the Warriors when Chris Paul wasn't himself, in addition to the defensive shortcomings that I already listed, you know, it's just, not, I mean, it's not going to work. So that's kind of like my whole take on it. Can he do it? Yes. Does he need the right team around him? Yes. But again, if you go back and look, I mean, who's done it? Kawhi Leonard's won championships with Hall of Famers and arguably the best coach in basketball history, arguably. And he won last season against a completely broken down and depleted Warriors team. And he had, you know, a guy like Pascal Siakam. And the Raptors specifically had playmaking and length in their front court, you know. And he had Fred Van Vliet. He had another all-star in Kyle Lowry, who's, you know, as far as all-star goes, he's lower tier, but he's still an all-star. So, you know, if you can find a guy for me who has done it with as little help as James Harden has had, then I'd love to hear it. But that's kind of what I keep going back to. Every time people criticize Harden, I think it's because he falls in that little middle area, right? He's not LeBron James, but he's also not, just for lack of a better name, he's not like a Kyle Lowry. He's not that low on the totem pole of all-star. And given, you know, the historic scoring that he's been doing over the last year or two years, people hold him to a higher standard. So I think it's kind of about the perspective and how you judge him. But I think when you kind of zoom out and look at it, like you're not going to find a guy that has carried teams with as little talent as him to the heights that people expect him to take them to, right? We, we know that the only all-star he's played with up until this season, Russell Westbrook being an all-star, but before this season, the only all-star he's played with in Houston was Dwight Howard in his first season in Houston, who I think we can agree wasn't that good, um, or at least wasn't good enough to, you know, win you a championship. So yeah, you know, I mean, he's, the teams really haven't been that good. Dwight Howard showed up uh, at the playoffs way more than James Harden did that Portland series. I'll say that. Well, see, but even then, right, like that was um, – and, and by the way, before I forget this, if you go back and look at Harden's numbers in, in the series against the Warriors last season, I mean, he showed up. He definitely showed up offensively for sure, much more so than Chris Paul. But as far as the Blazers go, number one, Dame Lillard hit an amazing shot because Chandler Parsons played terrible defense on that last possession. Otherwise, that series is going back to Houston 3-3. And, you know, who knows what happens there. I don't think the Rockets go on to win – a title and they probably lose to the Spurs in the second round. But in addition to that, Dwight Howard, you know, he was still in, he was still trying to be Shaq, right? He was, he wanted to post up. He didn't want to run the pick and roll. But if you remember, if you go back and watch late in games when the Rockets didn't have anything going and they ran the pick and roll, it actually worked. So I think that was more so them not meshing and Dwight Howard not fully accepting that he was not a post player. I do think the one time that there's really no excuse to be made for James Harden is the Spurs series. He just kind of, completely no showed uh like you said turtled up 100 percent. completely agree there so i won't even begin to try to make an excuse for him there but yeah i mean if you have any rebuttals you know go, go for it but i just think if you, you got to find a player for me that can accomplish what people expect of james harden there that has accomplished what people expect of james harden i think it's lebron james and then no one else unless i'm missing somebody yeah you're right you're not gonna get any debates for me about regular season James Harden I, I guess my concern is when the lights are the brightest and you know regular season James Harden beat the Golden State Warriors without Chris Paul 
and, and, and a healthy Warriors team. Uh, I just carried them uh, to a win. And, and that's the guy that I wanted to see in the playoffs, that guy that beat them early last year. I think it was in early January. And he had that game winner with, you know, Clay Thompson and Draymond draped all over him from about 26 feet. And, and that guy just didn't show up in some of the bigger moments in the postseason. But I'm going to ask our listeners if people agree, disagree, let, let, let me know. Uh, it's info at houstonsportstalk.net. The email address is, is in the description of each show. And can't thank you enough, Roosh, for coming on with us. And like I said, your great follow at Roosh Williams if people are looking for you. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, always happy to talk Rockets. So let me know. Yeah, we're going to have to get into a whole other conversation about uh, Mike D'Antoni in, in probably a few months. But, yeah, definitely. And and also want to remind everybody to to share and, and retweet us, if you would, if you're a fan of the show. And let your friends know about us. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you again in a little bit, uh, a couple of days, with uh, our Throwback Thursday. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.